I woke up at 4 o'clock on the button this morning. I looked at the clock when my eyes popped open, and it was 4 o'clock exactly. And uh, while I was laying there, my mind, uh, Wednesdays are always, uh, my mind starts whirling early on Wednesdays. But uh, the Lord just seemed to lay some things in, in, upon my heart that I need to talk about here tonight. It's not anything that I haven't covered before in my uh, teaching and preaching, but some things that we, we really, really, really need. Is there anybody here that understands that your mind is a battleground? Amen? I'm going to talk tonight for just a little while on the battleground of the mind for guests. Thank you for being with us tonight. We're scattered. We got people all over this campus, but thank you for being here. And it's okay that you're scattered tonight. That way you won't catch COVID just in case anybody's got it. Amen. God bless you. Let me, uh, let me begin this evening, and I'll, I'll try. I, I told my wife just before service, I said, I don't know if I can get to everything I need to get to uh, tonight. So if, if I don't, I may continue. But, but I want to talk about some very important things. I mean, I'm not going to read a scripture at the outset. There'll be some scriptures intertwined in what I have to say tonight. But these things are going to be very, very important. And I would like to take my time and just talk to you about some things that we need to understand in our walk with God. Everybody fights battles. Everybody, everybody goes through hard times. Living for God, you're not always on a mountain. I'd love to be able to tell you tonight that when you live for God, you'll never get the flu. You'll never have pneumonia. You'll never have a heart attack. You'll never have COVID. I'd love to tell you that. I'd love to tell you you won't have to ever worry again. Your bank account's going to be full. Your car's going to run forever. Your clothes won't ever wear out. I'd love to tell you that. But I got some news for you. Life is life. And it doesn't matter if you're living for God or not, you're going to go through some things in life. Amen? But one of the things that we're going to go through as a child of God is a battle in our minds. The place where Jesus was crucified was called Golgotha, which meant, and you can find this in the Scriptures, the place of the skull. Say that with me, the place of the skull. If we are going to be effective in spiritual warfare, the first field of conflict where we must learn warfare is the battleground of the mind. In other words, the place of the skull. And to defeat the devil, you're going to have to be crucified in the place of the skull. You're going to have to get rid of carnal thinking and let God be in your mind. The Bible said, let this mind be in you which was in Christ. So we have to have the mind of Christ. We've got to learn to think the right things. Amen? I love the scriptures uh, that, that tell us, uh, Paul was talking and he said, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are true. And he goes on, he mentions a lot of positive things, but he said, in the end, he said, think on these things. Think on these things. So Evidently, Paul understood that we got to get our mind right. Satan's domain is the realm of darkness, and I believe the Scripture will bear that out. The fact is the devil is in darkness, and wherever there's spiritual darkness, that is where he resides. 
He lives in darkness. He is not of the light. He is of the night. Spiritual warfare is not necessarily a welcome dimension in my life or in your life. But let me just tell you something. Some people may never initiate spiritual warfare, but you can't avoid it if you're a child of God. You're going to face the devil, and, and you may not initiate it, but he's coming after you. Because when you start serving God, he wants to initiate war against you. It was Jude that said it this way in verse 6, that the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains unto darkness, unto the judgment of the great day. In other words, the devil comes from darkness, and that's his habitation. He has fallen angels with him, and, and, and they have been relegated to live in the darkness of eternity forever because the devil is of darkness. The scripture said, you are not children of darkness, but you are children of the light. We're children of the day. We're children of the sun. Amen? We're children of the light where things are out in the open. The devil's such an underhanded, crooked character that he only operates in darkness. And maybe not altogether the darkness of our land, but the darkness of spirituality. The devil and the fallen angels are relegated to that. And where darkness is, it is in the absence of God because you know what the Bible said? God is light. The Bible said he's light. He's light. So we as Christians, we've been, we've been delivered out of the domain of, of, a, of the authority of darkness. Paul said it this way in Colossians. He said, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness? The power of darkness. And hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. If you tolerate darkness, listen to me, through tolerance of sin, we leave ourselves vulnerable to a, a, a satanic assault upon ourselves. Wherever there is a willful disobedience to the Word of God, there is spiritual darkness and potential for demonic activity. Now, and I'm going to read a lot of my notes because I, I want to stay right with what I have tonight. But I want you to hear that again. You can't tolerate darkness in your life, and darkness comes through sin. So if you willfully disobey the Word of God, you are opening yourself up to darkness and demonic and satanic activity in your life. Because where sin is, that's where the devil is. That's why the Bible said in Luke 11:35. Take heed, therefore, that the light which is in thee be not darkness. Take heed, therefore, that the light which is in thee be not darkness. In other words, don't let sin overtake you. There is a light in you. It was a, the, the wise man picked up his pen in the book of Proverbs, and he said this. It's a very powerful scripture if you go study it. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. Searching all the inward parts of the belly. In other words, there's light in us. And it comes by the Spirit of the Almighty God. But when you harbor sin, the light that is in you turns to darkness. And the devil can traffic in any area 
of darkness, even the darkness that still exists sometimes in a so-called Christian's heart. Christians can fall into darkness if we're not very careful. An example, an example of Satan having access to the carnal side or the human side is seen in the life of Simon Peter when he denied Jesus Christ three times he denied him before the cock crowed in the morning. It's obvious that Peter failed. We all know that. And, and what we do not see was the invisible things of the Spirit going on in the life of Peter. Peter, or Jesus, actually saw it through spiritual eyes, and he predicted it, that Peter would deny him. He said, you're going to deny me three times before the morning. And Peter said, not me, Lord. I won't ever deny you. But guess what? The Lord saw something in Peter that Peter did not see in himself. Some people believe that Peter's act was an act of fear because of what was going on when he denied the Lord. And he did not want to be associated with certain groups because he perhaps feared his life. And, but, but Peter wasn't a scared kind of guy. you got to know that when they came to get Jesus, Peter cut a soldier's ear off. He drew his sword and whack, cut the guy's ear off. And the merciful God that we serve reached down and picked the guy's ear up and put it back on the side of his head. So Peter wasn't, I mean, he, he, we're talking about an old burly fisherman that stays out on the sea night after night. He wasn't a, he wasn't a sissy. He wasn't a scared kind of guy. So it wasn't because he was scared. The Bible said in Luke 22, verse 31 and 32, the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. And the next verse said, but I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. I'm telling you that the Lord saw something in Simon that he did not see in himself. Behind the scenes, the devil no doubt had demanded and commanded or demanded permission to sift Simon as wheat because the Lord said, the devil, Satan, is wanting to sift you as wheat. And the Lord can allow Satan to sift us. Now listen to me. He can allow you to go through some things. But it's not for your destruction. It's to make you better. He allowed Job to go through what he went through. The Bible said when, when the sons of God appeared before God, Satan came with them. He came to church and he started questioning the integrity and the faith of Job. And the Lord said to, to Satan, he said, you, you can do anything, but you can't kill him. We won't, you, I'm going to protect him. You can't kill him. Well, I don't know what kind of conversation, if any, that the devil had with the Lord about Simon. But the Lord saw something in Simon, and he allowed Satan to do what he was doing and to sift him. Luke 22, 23 said, now watch, this is a story you need to go study. They begin to inquire, talking about the disciples among themselves, which of them it was that should do this thing. In other words, they got in an argument, 
And then the 24th verse said this, there was also strife among them, which of them should be accounted the greatest. So they got in a little argument about who's going to sit on the right hand of Jesus and who was the greatest in the kingdom. And this discussion went from an attitude of shock and dismay to an argument concerning who among them was the greatest. Well, evidently Peter, the water walker, who was the boldest and evidently the most outspoken, prevailed. Perhaps Peter, in his high visibility among the disciples, left him with an air of superiority and being lifted up by what we call and we know as pride before he failed. Because you know what the Bible said? Pride, you mark this in your Bible. You better, go, you better go get this scripture and mark it down because it's in Proverbs 16 and 18. It said, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Amen? You know what caused Satan to fall? Pride. Lucifer fell because of pride. You know what caused Peter to fall? Pride. Pride. He, de- he declared, I'm going to be the one. I'm, I'm the greatest in the kingdom. But pride can cause any man to fall. you got to recognize before you do warfare that the areas that we hide in darkness are the very areas of our defeat. It's what's going to bring us down. The battles we face... The battles we face will not cease until we discover and repent of the dark areas of our life. Things that you know are there, but you refuse to deal with. A little jealousy here. A little hatred over here. Oh, it's getting quiet on me now. A little issue with some, something or somebody in the church over here. But to be effective in spiritual warfare, you've got to discern your own heart. And you've got to walk not in pride, but you've got to walk humbly before the Lord. I'm telling you what the scripture is telling us. Our course of action has to be to submit to God. And then we resist the devil. And the Bible said, He will flee from us. James 4 and 6. James 4 and 6. They'll put it on the screen. But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud. God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. I've preached this many, many times for those of you who have been around a while. But let me tell you, nobody with pride is going to succeed in the kingdom of God. You can't be prideful and serve God. There has to be an humble and repentant spirit in order for us to serve God. The good news for Peter and for ourselves is that Satan will never be given permission to destroy you. He's limited. He may sift you like wheat, but the Lord said no man can take you out of my hand. Amen? Nobody. The outcome of this type of assault is to cleanse us to make us better, to get rid of our pride, to produce meekness, greater meekness, and transparency in our lives. And it may feel terrible, 
But while they, those things are going on, God is working and working us. Have you ever felt sometime like God didn't care and God didn't hear and you was going through it and it seemed like God wasn't answering your prayer? Honey, I want to tell you, he heard you all along. He saw you all along. You're his child. But let me tell you what he's doing. He's teaching you a little lesson and he's giving you some, some education and he's letting you know that you got to get it right, right here and right here or you won't make it in the rapture. You see, we all have that carnal man, and it's that husk-like outer nature. Peter had it, but it must die to facilitate the breaking forth of the wheat. Except the corn of wheat fall into the ground, the Bible said, and die, it abideth alone. So for the wheat-like nature to come forth, the husk has to die. It has to fall off. Before God can use us in any way or another, you will have to pass through the threshing floor. You know what the scripture talk about in the last days of time? The threshing floor. And it says that the Lord is going to toss the wheat into the air and the chaff will be blown away, but the good will come down. We're all on the threshing floor in 2021. God's trying to find out who is and who isn't. He wants to be sure who his church is. He wants to be sure of how solid you are in your faith, in your prayer, in your doctrine, in your love for God, in your commitment to God. He wants to see who you are. So therefore, Peter's husk nature was presumptuous and proud and his initial success had made him ambitious and, and, and self-oriented and often that's what happens to us. But could I tell you on this Wednesday night, the greatest thing I can do and the greatest can, thing you can do is humble yourselves at the mighty hand of God. Humble yourselves at the mighty hand of God because that's what it takes to get our pride out of us. God will never entrust his kingdom to anyone who's, who's not been broken of their pride. Anyone. Pride is the armor of darkness itself. And when Satan demanded permission to assault Peter, Jesus said, in effect, you can sift him, but you can't destroy him. So the warfare against Peter was devastating, but it served the purpose of God because here's the same guy that stood at Pentecost had preached when they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? It was that same Simon Peter that stood up and said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That same man. You see, God didn't throw him away because he made a mistake, and he's not going to throw you away either because he understands that we're but flesh. But I'll tell you what he'll do. He'll get us through the meal and let us be sifted and and. And he'll, he'll do that for perfection in our lives. There are no perfect people. And when you get perfect, I'm out of a job. Furthermore, I'll never be perfect. And nobody in this room will. But let me tell you something. God is constantly working on us. God is constantly trying to deal with us. We've got to understand the thinking of God. He is, he is making a bride that is going to be without spot 
or without blemish. That's what the scripture said. He's coming after a bride without spot and without blemish. And the only way for us to get it right is to dispose of our pride and dispose of our arrogance and to get rid of the things that are in us and get our minds on God and our hearts on God that we can do the will of God. See, Peter was ignorant to the area of darkness that he was dealing with. His ignorance left him open to the attack of the devil. Now watch me. I want to ask a question. Do you know? Do you know what area in your life is vulnerable to an attack by Satan? If you do know, you need to tend to that right here and right here. Amen? When God reveals the sin that's in us, it is so that he might destroy the works of the devil in us. Somebody said, I'm, I, I don't sin, preacher. Really? It's good. Maybe you need to come preach and I need to sit on the pew. Because we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. You might as well smile. It's okay. The greatest defense we have against the devil is to maintain an honest heart to God. Just be honest. You know, when you go to pray and you repent for half the things that are wrong and you leave some things buried there, God knows that. You're not fooling God. He, he knows you. And he knows whether you're being honest or not. When the Holy Ghost, when the Holy Ghost gets in that area, that needs repentance, it will give you power and instinct and anointing to overcome and defend your soul. But as long as we, as we try to hornswoggle God, if I could use that, and just lie a little bit and act like we're A-okay when we're not okay. If you got something against somebody and you leave it in there, it's going to be like a cancer. It's going to gnaw on you. It's going to tear you up. It's going to eat you up. Amen. Amen. So here's what happens. There's a little lawyer in all of us that stands up and steps out from the dark closet of our soul and starts pleading our case and said, well, now, my client's really not that bad. He has a right to do what he's doing or feel like he's feeling or saying what he's saying. Your little lawyer stands up to defend you. Oh, yeah. Your defense attorney will defend you until the day you die. And if you listen to him, you will never see what is wrong in you or face what really needs to be changed in you. They're, they're, look, we're defensive people. Don't, don't look at me like that. Yes, we are. You know what? I can talk about my family, but you better not. I can talk about my kids, but you better not. I can talk about my wife. Not with her knowing it, but you better not. But, but what I'm saying is we all have that, that mechanism of defense. And when that little lawyer stands up and says, well, it's not really that bad. 
you, you, you didn't really do that. You, you know, that, that little lawyer is of the devil because he wants to stand up and defend you when you're wrong and you deep down know you're wrong. And we've all got one. Everybody say, we've all got one. My lawyer stands up for me quite often when I know better. And I, I should say, sit down and shut up. You're, you're, you're not making your case. But we like that. We like to be defended. We cannot engage, ladies and gentlemen, in spiritual battle without embracing the knowledge given in James chapter 4 and verse 6. You've got to embrace it. If God opposes the proud, then he's stiff-arming the proud. He's pushing the proud away. And we've got to understand the only way in the presence of God is through humility and saying, God, I'm wrong and I need help. You know how often we ought to repent? I heard somebody say it. Every day. Every day. You know what you need to do? You, me and you, I'm not, when I say you, I'm just preaching to you, but I'm preaching to me and I preach better when I preach to me. Let me just tell you, we need to live a repentant life. Because little things, little things, little things, things you didn't know were there will pop up. First thing you know, you said something. You really, is anybody like me? There, there have been things that, that I said that within two seconds I wish I could go. Is anybody else like that? Man, I wish I hadn't said that. But you know, you, you can't get them back. Once they're out there, they're out there. I'd love to eat some of those words, I've, 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 and I have eaten some of them. But you know, that, that's just being humanity. That's being a part of, that's why we have to get up every morning and ask God for direction. And we have to repent every day and say, God, search me. God, try me. God, know me. You need to live a repentant lifestyle. You don't need to be a prideful person that says, well, I don't really have nothing to repent about. That's what you need to repent about. Everybody said amen. So in the context of repentance and humility and possessing a clean heart, we find Satan will flee from us when we do that. We must go beyond just a vague submission to God. You've got to submit the exact, everybody say this with me, the exact area of your personal battle to God. The exact area. If you know where it's at, you gotta, you got to attack that. Victory, ladies and gentlemen, begins with the name of Jesus on your lips. But it will not be consummated until the nature of Jesus is in your heart. You can say in Jesus' name all day long, but if you're not changing in here, you're just saying his name in vain. You, victory comes by calling upon his name. But when you call upon his name, You've got to try to live after his nature. Paul said in one writing, he said, till Christ be formed in us. Taking on the nature of God. Till Christ be formed in us. <clears throat> so, as you begin to appropriate not just his name, but his, his nature, the devil, will con he, he can't continue to assault. This is really what resisting the devil is because you're putting God in every corner of your mind, in every corner of your heart. 
I'm going to get there. Just hang on. I know you think, well, he's going to talk about the battleground of the mind. But I have to lay all this groundwork. The outcome of Peter's experience can be found in his actions in Acts chapter 3. When he went to the gate or to the temple, the Bible said when Peter saw it, Acts 3.12, he answered, here's a guy, here's a guy that, that is begging for, for alms. And Peter and John's going to, the, to, to pray. And, 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 and they look at the man and said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I unto thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And the man did, and he did that. In verse 12, the Bible said, when Peter saw it, he answered to the people, you men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us as though by our own power of holiness we made this man to walk? In other words, Peter quit taking the credit. And he understood that I'm a nobody and God's somebody. I can't take credit for what God just did for that man. But you see, if you go back, he was arguing about whether or not he'd be the greatest. But God had a way of turning that around in his life. And he did it through denial on the time of crucifixion. And he did it by bringing, bringing the great condemnation upon him that night. Because what you got to see about Peter is if you find him after his denial... When Jesus was being led and crucified, you find him in the next scene. The Bible said, Peter wept bitterly. You know what he did? He repented. And when he repented, it showed up in Acts chapter 3. He said, why are you looking on us? We didn't do this. It's only God that could do this. It's only the Lord that can do this miracle. So what I'm telling you is Peter gave God the glory and he lost his own pride. The stronghold of God is humility. Amen. So let's talk about the stronghold of the godly. See, Satan, Satan fears virtue and he's terrified of humility. He hates it. He, he, he hates humble people. He can't handle them. Satan's hair stands up when you kneel. The hair on the back of his neck raises up when you kneel. Because when you kneel, that means I'm surrendering to God. And when you surrender to God, Satan cannot have an effect on you. Is everybody with me today? So who are you truly fighting? The judgments of God, the judgments of God, against the devil was that he should eat dust in the garden. That's what happened when sin came. And do you remember that God said of man, you came from dust and you're going to return to dust. So the essence of our carnal nature, of all that is carnal in nature, is just dust. We're just dust. God formed us out of dust. So here's the connection. Satan feeds Upon the carnal nature. The Lord told him he was going to eat dust. Go read it in Genesis. And if we're dust, he feeds upon our carnality. So our carnality has got to be buried and the spiritual man's got to rise. That's good stuff whether you believe it or not. Satan dines. He dines on what we withhold from God. He feasts on the things that we withhold from God. Think about that. We need to recognize that the immediate source of oppression is not necessarily demonic every time, but fleshly. We often, here's, here's what I want you to see. The fleshly areas supply 
Satan access to undermine our prayer and neutralize our walk with God. And it's our exaggerated sense of self-righteousness that prevents us from looking honestly at ourselves and doing the right things. But therefore, we are recipients of our own actions. It's not always the devil that brings this stuff. We bring some things on ourselves. Don't always say, the devil made me do it. The devil don't always make you do it. I hope you're hearing me tonight. See, uh, listen to me right now. We know who's in us, right? But we got to know what's in us. It's okay to know who's in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory. I got the Holy Ghost. Anybody here got the Holy Ghost? Christ in you. But what's in you? Not who's in you, what's in you? So you got to be specific when you submit yourself to God and you, gotta, you can't rationalize your failures and rationalize your sin. That all comes right here. The sacrifice of Jesus is, is a perfect shelter for the grace of God. The grace of God came to us. And when men come honestly before God, when you're honest with God, God's not horrified or shocked by what you tell him. He already knows it. He's waiting for you to tell him. You're not shocking God by saying, God, I've done wrong. He knows that already. He just wants you to admit you've done wrong. Amen. So before we launch aggressive warfare, you've got to realize that some of our battles are consequences of some of our actions. Just think about that. Don't, don't, tell, don't blame it all on the devil. You did it. The devil didn't have nothing to do with some of it. You did it. So to war effectively, you've got to separate what is of the flesh and what is of the devil. You've got to understand. You've got to ask yourselves, are these things that are pressing me today something that I did yesterday, bringing it on me today, or is this really an attack of the enemy? Y'all quiet on me. Matthew chapter 5, verse 25. Here's what Jesus said. Agree with thine adversary quickly, whilst thou art in the way with him. Lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou shalt be cast into prison. Verily I say unto thee, thou shalt by no means come out thence till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. Now, this little parable that Jesus told right here is God's view of human righteousness. Because here's what he's saying in the narrative, that the adversary is the devil and the judge is God. And Satan, as our adversary, stands as the accuser of the brethren. The Bible calls him that in the book of Revelation. But God is the judge of all men. Now watch me. The truth Christ wants you to see is that when you approach God on the basis of your own righteousness, the adversary... The devil will always have legal grounds to point you out and to cast you into prison. For your righteousness, Isaiah said, is as filthy rags before God. And when Jesus said, agree quickly with an adversary, he doesn't mean obey the devil. He's saying, he's saying Satan accuses you of some sin or some flaw. If the devil's even mute, minutely right, it's to your advantage to say, you're right. 
But Jesus Christ died for my sin. He said, agree with your adversary. If you're wrong, just admit you're wrong. Just say, I did it. If the devil said, you don't have the love of God, say, yep. You're right. I don't have enough of the love of God. But I'm going to have it because I know how to pray. And I know the adversary has come against me and God is going to deliver me. You see what I'm saying to you tonight? Just understand what is spiritual and what is human. Our, our salvation's not based upon what we do, but upon who, who becomes to us. Jesus Christ himself is our righteousness. Who, who takes over our life. Who becomes the good in us? Who does the righteous things? You're not going to heaven because you're a good guy. You're not saved by your own righteousness. There's a, Cornelius was a good man. Don't argue with me. Somebody said, oh, they're good people. They're going to be saved. That's not what saves you, good people. Cornelius, the Bible said, was a devout man, prayed much, gave much alms. He gave, he gave to God, gave, went to church, prayed, done all that good stuff, you're not saved because you're a good guy. You're saved when you're born again of the water and the Spirit. That's Scripture, my friend. That's not what I said. That's what God said. So when the devil comes against you, he just tries to deceive you and focus your attention upon all your goodness and all your righteousness. I'm here to tell you on a Wednesday night, get your thinking cap on. You're not here because you're good. You can't get good enough to get God. You get God when you repent of your sins and humble yourself before God. And he knows that you're humble yourself and repenting of the things you've done. That's the way you get your thinking right and your thinking make your soul right. So the more we recognize that it's his righteousness the less the adversary has an arena in our life to accuse us of our failings. Because if Satan comes to condemn you for not having enough love, just say, I don't. Not going to church enough, just say, I don't. Not praying enough, just say, I don't. Uh, uh, you know what? Agree with that adversary. But humble yourselves before God because your adversary. Listen to this. Listen to this. A vital key is, is, is humility to overcoming the devil. And to humble yourself is to refuse to defend your image. And you are corrupt and full of sin in your old nature. That's scripture. And we have a new nature which has been created by the likeness of God. Let me tell you when the devil will leave you alone. When he sees that his bothering you has pushed you closer to God. Do you think the devil, if he had it to do it all over again, would have had Jesus crucified? Huh? Do you think he would have? I tell you no. I tell you that, that, that if he had one act to, over, to do over in, in all of history, he would not have Roman soldiers nail Jesus to a cross. The Bible said if he would have known, 
if he would have known. You just didn't know that one drop of that blood was cleansing the sin of all mankind, devil. You wrote your own death warrant when you nailed him to the cross. Hallelujah. I feel the Holy Ghost in the house tonight. You wrote your own demise when you nailed him. So when the devil sees you getting closer to God, he's terrified. He'll back up. He'll quit assaulting. Let me spend the last 15 minutes talking about pulling down strongholds. I preached on this a few weeks ago in this church about strongholds. You can go back and get the, the, the message if you want to. I started to say a tape, but we long done away with, away with tapes. I'm living in the 70s. Go get whatever they make now, and, and you can listen to it. But what we call salvation is simply the first stage of God's plan for us to conform to his character and power. We conform to the image of God, and we, we become like him. So pulling down strongholds is the, watch this now, it's the demolition and removal of the old ways of thinking so that the actual presence of Jesus Christ can be manifested through us. That's what pulling down a stronghold is. What is a stronghold? If you read Second. Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5, it says this, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God, to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Now, the apostle Paul used the word stronghold to define the spiritual fortress wherein Satan and his legends hide and are protected. That's their stronghold. These fortresses exist in the thought patterns and the ideas of people that govern individuals and churches. Before, before victory can be claimed, strongholds have to be pulled down. And Satan's armor has to be removed. So what is a biblical meaning of the word stronghold? Watch this. In the Old Testament, the stronghold was a fortified dwelling used as a means of protection from an enemy. David hid from King Saul in, in wilderness strongholds at Koresh. And in 1 Samuel 23, 14, you'll find these were physical structures, usually caves on a mountainside that were very difficult for him to be assaulted. But a stronghold can be a source of protection for us from the devil. Strongholds are not always of the devil. You can build strongholds against the enemy. If you don't believe that, that, that when it's Psalms 18 and 2, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. Does that sound like a stronghold to you? You can build a stronghold against the enemy just like the enemy can build a stronghold in your life. You got to believe that. But you have to tear down their stronghold to build God's stronghold. A stronghold can be a source of defense for the devil where demonic, 
or sinful activity. It's actually defended within us by our sympathetic thoughts toward the evil things that we do. We justify them. I've already said that. The Apostle Paul defines a stronghold as speculations, a lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, casting out vain imaginations. That's a stronghold. You got to get that out of your mind. Ladies and gentlemen, a demonic stronghold is any type of thinking that exalts itself above the knowledge of God, thereby giving the devil a secure place of influence in your mind and in your thought process. You got to get the bad thinking out. We're not talking about demon possession. We're talking about oppression. I, I don't believe Christians can be demon-possessed. Just a thought. I believe an ex-Christian can be demon-possessed. Amen. I do believe Christians can be oppressed by demonic spirits. And these spirits can occupy unregenerated thought systems. Think about it. Especially if those thoughts are defended by self-deception or false doctrine. You, a demon cannot have you in an eternal possessive sense. Watch me. But you have a demon if you refuse to repent or you're sympathetic toward evil. Get quiet. Rebellion provides a place for the devil in your life. Many people believe that because they are Christians, they can't be deceived. And one reason the Bible said the spirit of truth was sent was because we are so easily falling into deception. The scripture often warns about deceit. The very thought, listen to me, that a Christian cannot be deceived is itself a deception. We can be deceived as Christians. And once that particular lie permeates a believer's mind, his ideas and opinions crystallize and remains in whatever state of spiritual immaturity he happens to be. Now, I know you're not getting it all, but, but I'm going to say it anyway. All manner of spirits will attack the soul, knowing that they are protected by the armor of that person's thoughts and doctrines. So it is very difficult to break the power of religious self-deception. For the very nature of faith is to give no room for doubt. Religious deception is often the greatest deception. When one is deceived, he does not recognize that he is deceived because he has been deceived. Does that make sense? When one is deceived, he don't recognize it because his faith teaches him to not doubt what he believes. And his deceit cannot sometimes be turned away because he has deceived himself into believing that he's right and will refuse to believe that he's wrong. So we must turn to the Word of God to find out if we're deceived. The Word of God, not the pastor, is the final authority. Somebody here ought to agree with me. 
The Word of God is the final authority. Does anybody believe that today? For all that we think we know, we must know this as well. We can be wrong. Look at yourself and say, I can be wrong. This old flesh can be wrong. This old boy right here can be wrong. And you can too. Amen? So if we refuse to accept this truth, how will we ever be correct with my errors? God has to deal with our minds. Let me tell you something. There's nothing worse than people that hold grudges. It is the tormenting thing. And you know who hurts? Not the person they're mad at. They don't even know you're mad most of the time. They're just going on with life and enjoying everything and life's hunky-dory and, boy, this is great. And you're going to bed every night with your lip pooched out and you get up in the morning saying, if I could just get... You, you're the loser. Just get over it. Somebody say, get over it. Pulling down strongholds is, is, is praying over it, getting the victory over it, getting Jesus not only in your lips but in your heart, getting your mind. Think on these things. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are lovely. Look, watch this one. Whatsoever things are of good report. Think on these things. Don't think about the bad. You get to thinking about the bad, you'll be a miserable human being. There's enough bad to think about. Amen. The news dwells on the bad. That's why, that's, why, that's why people watch. They want to see all that's wrong. I wish we had a news channel just would dwell 24-7 about nothing but good. So-and-so got healed. So-and-so won a million dollars. So-and-so got a good job. This company's doing better than it's ever done. You don't hear that junk. All you hear is she got killed. They got murdered. They got raped. There's war over here. There's a problem. That's all you hear. The world dwells on bad news. Why don't we think on things that are of good report and things that are true and things that are, listen to this one, honest and things that are lovely. I pastored a lady one time, the first church I pastored. She was such a sweet lady. Look, I know she went through, pardon me, pure hell because I know her kids. She's dead so I can't hurt her feelings. But you could just walk by her any time, night or day, grocery store, church service, didn't matter where she was. And you could say, Sister Jackson, how are you doing today? She said, just lovely. That was her answer. I didn't care if she had the pneumonia, the flu, whatever. Just lovely. I've never got another answer out of her, but just lovely. Wouldn't it be great if we could just think just lovely? Doesn't matter if the sky's falling. Doesn't matter if the world's not spinning the way we think it ought to spin. Just lovely. So work on your mind. The devil, pardon me, wants to build a stronghold in your mind. He wants you to think negative. He wants you to think pride. He wants you to be deceived. He wants to drag you down. He wants you to have vain imaginations. He wants you to have 
have, have this self-righteous attitude that I'm right and everybody else is wrong. He wants you to believe that. He wants you to believe every lie that he tells you. He wants to destroy you with demonic activity in every area of your life. But I'm telling you what I've told you tonight is absolutely and honestly true. If you'll do the things that I preach tonight, you can tear down every stronghold. You can break down everything the devil's ever tried to build. And in that place, you can build the fortress and you can build the high tower and you can live by the power of the name of Jesus. Does anybody believe me tonight? Repentance precedes deliverance of strongholds by the devil. And although a spirit may be commanded to leave, if the structure of the individual thoughts has not been changed, wrong attitudes towards sin will bring that spirit right back. You, you can have that rebuke. You can have a preacher stand over you and say, I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. But I'm going to tell you right now, if you don't do something about it, it's coming back. So I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm closing. I'm going to look how many pages I'm pulling aside here. But I want to tell you, think. It's the battleground. It's getting up in the morning and thinking, God, eternity, rapture, revival, loving people. It's thinking right. It's going to bed at night and said, Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for the goodness of God. Look, look, look well, you lost your job today. So what? God is good all the time. He's good when I'm down. He's good when I'm up. He's good on the va- in the valley. He's good on the mountain. He's good everywhere I go. I just got to corral this old mind. I've got to bring things into perspective. I got to think on things that are right. And let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. And you know what his mind was? Saving the world and saving those around him. And loving the hurting and healing sick and doing good things for those that were despondent and down. I'm telling you that's the ministry of the church and when we get the battleground of the mind in order and we start claiming victory because we don't just have him here but we have him here. Things are going to turn around in your life. Shall we stand? Hallelujah. Well I hope you believe what I preached to you tonight. God knows what we're up against. Now, I want to tell you something. I heard somebody say, who was it stood in this pulpit a few days ago and said he turned off all the, I think it was Brother Mahoney said that. I thought, you know what, that might be what we all need to do. Just, just tune the world out for a few days. Just tune everything out of your mind. Don't let the devil infiltrate everything that you think and everything that you believe and everything that you've stood for. Don't let the devil get a hold on you. Just win the battle, and it starts right here between your ears. It doesn't start with me. It starts with you. I'm going to close with one scripture. I preached it, and I preached it, and I preached it, and I preached it some more. And in 50 years of preaching, I've preached it more times than I can remember. But I'm going to give it to you one more time. You know what the Bible said? As a man thinketh in his heart. What? So is he. You know what Paul said? I think myself happy. I think myself happy. He said it's in the book. I think myself happy. You want to be happy? Start thinking happy. 
I think myself healed. I think myself successful. I, oh, 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 oh. There's power in this mind. There's power in thinking right. There's power in that. There's a book out called The Power of Positive Thinking. It's been out for years. It's true. If you think you're, you're defeated, you're, you're already defeated. Can you, see, can you see the Dallas, well, not the Dallas Cowboys because they're defeated anyway, but the New Orleans Saints? Can you see the coach? I knew, I knew where I was going with that. I'm just picking on my buddy over here. Can you see the coach of the New Orleans? Can you see Sean Payton get in the locker room for the game? Say, guys, I know we're not going to win today, but y'all just do the best you can. They ain't never, what? It's not going to happen. Can you see Orge Ron this Saturday saying, guys, I know we haven't played real good this season. Mississippi State probably going to stop us, but y'all just go out and try. No! You know what he's saying? We can do this! We can win this! You know what you got to get up every day saying? I'm thinking, I'm thinking right. I'm going, I'm going in the rapture. I'm, I'm going to live right. I'm going to be saved. My family's going to heaven. I'm not giving in. I'm not giving up. I'm going to do my best and think what is right. I can't the more. Y'all give the Lord a hand of praise. Hallelujah. Amen.